Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach, and I am so excited for you to hear episode number 100 of our podcast. An incredible story today from Coach Ryan Smith. He's currently the head football coach at Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas, just south of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Played college football at SAGU. Has coached high school in, in Mississippi. And now back as a head coach at his alma mater. Just a, a note uh, that you'll hear in his story. He began preaching at age 15. You know, God called him to proclaim the gospel, and he feels like that, that being in coaching is that calling, is that ministry. It allows him to, to not only preach the gospel, but also build into to young men. He's just an incredible man of God. He's married to Christy. They have four kids. I can't wait for you to hear from Ryan, so let's jump right into it. Thanks for joining me today, Coach Smith. Thanks for having me, man. It's uh, I really appreciate it. I love what you guys do, and I'm excited to be a part of it. You bet. So I think it's good to start this off with some background information. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your family growing up, and then your family today. You know, I'm uh, from a town of 410 people <laughs> and a four-way stop. So, uh, you know, in the middle of Mississippi, I played football there. And had the opportunity being an Assemblies of God kid, church kid. You know, mom had me at church every time the doors open uh, to come out here. And I played uh, quarterback here and started here for four years from 2001 to 2004 uh, under our current AD, which is uh, Jesse Guiding's big influence in my life. After playing, I went on and then coached in the area at Palmer High School and Irving Nimitz High School before going back to Mississippi uh, for 12 years. Spent significant time there. And then from that point, I um, spent time as an OC. And then I uh, was the OC at Oak Grove High School down in Hasburg. Got a head coaching job in an area, a 2A school, and then was kind of connected back here. And then once I got connected back here, I was able to get the head job. I have a wife. My wife's named Christy. She teaches at the local elementary here in Waxhatchee. We have four children. Kaylee is a sophomore at Mississippi State. Caden is a ninth grade football player at uh, Midlothian Heritage. Kai is a uh, third grader uh, at one of the elementaries here in Waxahachie. And then Collins is a first grader. Wow, that's a lot going on. It's a lot of K's and a a lot of busy schedules. From college to first grade. That's right. I don't envy that. Yeah. So you mentioned you played football here at – Sagu Southwestern Assemblies of God University, where you're now the coach. So, being from a small town in Mississippi, how does one end up playing college football in a small town of Waxahachie, Texas? Well, for me, Waxahachie was the biggest city I'd ever seen. So, <laughs> you know, kind of going into that, um, you know, the Assemblies of God background was huge. And just giving me the opportunity to come in here and, you know, start was a huge deal for me. I had a couple offers at, at different places like Mississippi College and Louisiana College. So just, just wanted to play and wanted to be in a Bible environment. At that time, I really felt I was called into full-time vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. So this was just a natural transition. And then, and then you decide to, you come here to study youth ministry, you were telling me, and then, you know, you've, you decide to then change and start shifting your focus into to coaching, which is also ministry. No, no doubt. May not be full-time vocational ministry in, in the church, but still ministry nonetheless. So um, talk about that process of uh, you feel like God calling you into coaching. Well, you know, I started really early. Uh, my, my mom, along with the rest of the church, put me in a pulpit when I was about 15. 
because I wasn't scared to talk. <laughs> and so you kind of start to understand that, okay, this is what I'm called to do. I love the Lord. And, and you'd like to talk in front of people, so you're supposed to be a pastor. Uh, got here as a freshman and really immediately kind of got plugged in and, and just did not feel did not feel kind of compelled to the, I didn't fit in you know I didn't fit with the youth pastors I didn't I didn't dress like them or talk like them or have beards like them so uh, <laughs> you know we kind of got into that and a, a very influential person who was my offense coordinator at the time his name's Jeff Smith said man why don't you go into coaching and do that because that's going to be you know that that's what you fit and uh, as soon as I graduated, immediately went into a coaching role at a local high school here and just knew you, you kind of find your fit, you know, and that's what I tell guys all the time, find your fit, find mm-hmm. your fit, and immediately knew that was my fit, so immediately started kind of networking and doing all the things you've got to do to kind of advance and move up in that career field. So you, you did a lot of high school coaching, now a head coach here at a, a college. Um, talk about what it's like to be the head coach of where you played. You know, this was my dream job. I tell people this all the time because, again, it's about the ramifications of finding your fit. Mm. So, you know, I've, I've coached camps at all the big D1s and was doing that aspect of it, what all high, co- high school coaches do. But it quickly became th- this was my fit. This balanced me out with ministry. Before I was here, we were at a smaller school in Mississippi. I was pastor in the local church. Uh, you know, we had several players get saved. I even baptized one uh, and caught a lot from freedom from religion almost got my license taken so you just kind of felt your life moving in that direction so this was the perfect balance of ministry and coaching and the bigger ramification for me in this regard was the fact that you know this tied in who I was and when I was playing here we were a very young program we didn't win a lot so we we endured some hard times mm. so to come back you know, and be able to kind of be a part of a different element of it and be a different player in that, you know, and be very competitive and very successful in gaining the recognition not only conference-wise but also just throughout the whole, you know, nation is really cool factor for me. You know, I was talking to one of your assistant coaches before we started recording about what it's like to coach here, and he, he made the comment that he's coached at other Bible-based colleges, but... And I thought this was interesting. I've never heard this comparison. He said he's coached a lot of good Bible-based colleges, but this is Bible-focused. Yeah, that's a term I use all the time, that we are, we're not Bible-based, we're Bible-focused. Uh, all of our guys get a minor in biblical studies. That's just kind of who we are. We don't apologize for it. We have chapel four days a week. We're a spirit-filled environment. Uh, you know, they get Bible on a daily basis. They pray in every class. Uh, that's just who we are. And if a chapel service extends into a class period, that's what we do. Uh, we don't shy away from that. So the ramifications of God doing what God wants to do is huge for us. And we talked to our staff that we're going to be relationally driven and mission-minded. Mm. So for us, you know, what is the mission of our institution? Our mission of our institution is develop people to impact, you know, impact their world, uh, you know, for Christ. So for us, let's be relationally driven and then mission-minded. So our mission is to develop this person who's going to turn into someone who will impact the kingdom, whether they're a business major, whether whatever their major is, they're going to impact kingdom. Uh, you know, so within that, for me, we have to be relationally driven because so for us, I, I, all our staff has what we call spiritual formation. So all of our players go through what they call spiritual formation. So within that, we're going to spend that whole year going, who are you in Christ? 
What do you believe? What do you think is right and wrong? What do you think is good or bad? What is your identification in Christ? So year two is all year of growth. So now that we've identified that, uh, you know, what is the growth element for us? You know, how do you grow in Christ? Has your prayer life increased? Has all those things happened? So, you know, we... There's places that are Bible-based, we're Bible-focused, and we will not back down from it. We will not apologize for it. And this isn't for everybody. Right. So we understand that. So even in recruiting, what I tell our guys, we have to recruit guys that fit the culture of this campus, not just fit the culture of our locker room. Mm. You know, because any athlete can go into a locker room and fit that. It's football. I mean, there's 310 schools within 60 miles of my campus. Wow. So recruiting's easy, you know, to find players. But can you find guys who value their growth, who value their growth in Christ, and then value the fact that they want that to be an intricate part of their life? You know, we send out 20 mission, uh, mission trips a year, all from our campus. Wow. Most of those during spring break. So while other people are going to South Padre, uh, you know, our campus is sending out more, 20 mission trips. We have one of our corners. We have close to 15 to 20% of our athletes that are full-time ministry majors. So, you know, we, we have one young man that's been called to Guatemala who's already been accepted to the mission field. He's, a starts, he's one of our DBs. Uh, one of our starting outside linebackers is a full-time vocational ministry guy. Uh, our backup, Mike, is a full-time vocational ministry like the, the ramifications of what we do is, is but now is, is huge. But here's the balance. We've got full vocational ministry guys, but then on the other end, guys, we get some guys, because this is local, because this is close, and go, I'll give that a shot. But in reality, they don't know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. But here's the first thing I tell them from the first day, is you're not here by accident. God's called you here, whether you knew he was calling you or not. So there is going to be an impact. And Christ is going to influence them. And what does that mean for growth for them? All of these guys are not going to turn into full-time ministry. But what if they turn into really good fathers that take their kids to church on Sunday? And if it wasn't for this four years or this three years or this two years, if they're Juco guys or whatever it is. Would they even have a relationship with Jesus, right? Yes. Yeah. So for us, we've got to balance the ones that, that, you know, discipleship and evangelism. Some are coming here to be discipled. They have a great foundation. They grew up in Christian homes. But some are coming here because they need to be evangelized. Mm. They need to be impacted. Yeah, so we have to balance the the impact of discipleship and evangelism. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to go back to something you mentioned that happened in Mississippi. Um, I went back and looked up the video. Um, you, You talked about baptizing that player. Sounds pretty simple. Yeah. Right, a video goes viral, you get a lot of flag from the freedom from religion. So talk about, just talk about that that whole process of, you know, seeing a kid get saved and getting baptized, but then the reaction because I know it impact it had to have impacted your family, maybe even your career and the community. Well, it did. So the the big thing was is we had just got that job, uh, you know, that was a very the program was down. It was not a good program. So we knew the importance of putting Bible-based impact into it and making sure that our guys, you know, just knew who we were. And I told our superintendent from a very early standpoint that, hey, this is who we are. This is who we're going to be. This is just kind of who I am. And her husband's a pastor, so, man, she jumped all over it. Um, So what we did is we started teaching we started teaching our guys about Moses bringing God's chosen people 
out of the desert. So mm-hmm. every Wednesday after prep, we would set our guys down and I would tell this story. And it was just a continuation. And we talked about how there's this 40-year process, but we got to get it done in about 11 weeks. Mm. So um, I had this one young man who was the young man I baptized. He was our alpha. So an alpha for me is the guy who walks into the locker room and goes, hey, man, y'all be quiet, and everybody gets quiet. He's the alpha. He's the leader. Uh, by choice, by talent, by whatever reason, he's the guy. So he was the alpha. Well, in that, in that full ramification, he started really buying in. Well, week two, we have a tough loss. And I remember seeing him in the cafeteria on Monday, and he goes, hey, coach, a couple things. I said, what's up? He said, uh, I want to run the football, and I think I need to get saved. Ooh. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> we can take care of one of them at prep. We can take care of one of them right now. So we reversed that order. Yes, hey, we can get saved and then run the football. <laughs> so we took him, you know, you know, right there in a, in a very – in a, in a good spot, we talked and, and led him to the Lord. And it was so funny because he was such a just a dominant personality. For the next three weeks, he would bring players and say, hey, coach, he needs to get saved. And I said, <laughs> hey, baby, this ain't really how this works. You know? But, you know, through the course of that, from that moment, though, here's what's happened. We went on a five-game win streak. Wow. No, I'm not. I don't think God cares anything about wins and losses. But the dynamic of who he was changed because he started valuing himself as a person, not just a player. And when you start to value that process, it impacts everything you do. So um, when that happened, so we're in about three three games into this win streak in which we beat a much bigger school and just won some games probably shouldn't have. He comes up, he goes, Coach, I think I need to get baptized. And I asked the very general questions of what church you want to go to, when you want to do it, how, do you, how can I help? And he goes, I don't want to do it in a church because church people are kind of judgy. <laughs> he said, I want to do it right here with our team, and I want you to do it. Wow. So in my core values, I have some very specific core values that I did as who I wanted to be as a coach. But my last one's bridge the gap. And, man, I put BTG on everything I signed. Uh, and that's where this revelation of who I was came to fit because if people ask me, are you, what do you do for a living? I'll say, man, I just try to bridge the gap for anybody that comes in my path. So for me, that's meeting people where they are and helping fill the void to get where they want to be. Well, for some guys, that's to play. When I was a high school coach, that was to play at the college level. For now, it's for here, it's – some guys need to identify who they are in Christ. Some guys just need to graduate and break some generational curses of guys who never graduated. Some guys just need to break addictions. Some guys just need help facilitating what it looks like for them in full-time ministry. What is the gap? How do I bridge the gap for them? So in that moment, uh, when, when young man asked me that, I said, all right. I said, we, we can do one of two things. I can deflect this or I can run head-on into it, which I'm a, I'm a head-on kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I immediately called FCA, which was a friend of mine named Jonathan Fulcher. I called Fulcher. I called our local pastors. And we were having pastors come in on Sunday afternoons to pray over helmets anyway. And I was preaching. So I'd, I was pastoring church, but I was preaching all the local churches to help build this bond in this community because the church is where this happens. So they all got on board with it. So we called our local co-op. Got us a tub, <laughs> and then we called the dentist who was directly across the street from our practice field, and we got it filled up, let it warm up as much as possible, and then I talked through kind of the the things you need to do to make sure you're covered, which was 
Make it voluntary for the team. Have video documentation. Do it after school hours and do it off campus. So we, we met all those criteria. And it, so in that process, after that prep on Wednesday afternoon, I said, guys, I'm not going to teach you a, a lesson today. But Garrick would like you to come over here if you want to. And everybody, of course, walked over there. You can see them in the video. The superintendent, oh, yeah. my superintendent is directly behind me, crying her eyes out. Several community people. Uh, and, and so when we did that, uh, you know, I, I mean, you saw the video. I remember when I baptized him and I got up and I walked back to my office and I sat down, short, still wet. And I sat there and I said, this is what this is. It's just bridging the gap. Mm. And so this void that you feel in people's life looks so many different ways. And only thing that God's doing is using the ramification of coaching for me to fill voids and bridge gaps. And it comes in so many different phases. And, uh, you know, yeah, then, then freedom from religion got a hold of it. And it was really funny because, you know, of course, local lawyers come in and they say, hey, man, you just got to tweak what you do. You know, we can't afford to fight this. Just So I spent about two weeks really trying to do things differently, trying to not use Scripture, trying to do all those things. And I just remember about two weeks in going, man, I don't even know how to coach if I don't incorporate biblical principles and, and Christian influence. I don't even know how to do this because this is all I know. And so after about two weeks, I kind of looked at my staff and said, all right, boys, I might get us fired, but we just got to do this based on our convictions. And we got to do this based on what God's called us to do, and then we're going to keep rolling. Mm. So we just jumped off in it, and, you know, that young man ended up getting his grades, uh, got offered a scholarship opportunity to go to Alcorn, but he ended up joining the military and just felt that's the direction he should go, but totally changed the dynamics of his life, which that's was awesome. awesome. And, you know, and I don't know, this is not a plug, but they're actually filming a movie about our whole uh, impact there for two years called Gridiron Gospel. Uh, and, you know, it's it's in works now, and they're coming out here uh, to do some shots during the season. Awesome. And, and the movie release is going to be on our campus and going to be back in Mississippi. Wow. So, <laughs> it's pretty cool. So when, we, when my wife and kids and I went back the week of July 4th, we were able to kind of go see the cast and meet those guys. I did a cameo in the scene and went and had dinner with them. So it's kind of a cool thing, man. That is cool. You know, it, I was talking to um, a coach recently just about the whole dynamics of the restrictions, if yeah. you will, placed on coaches. And he said he came to realize very similar to what you said about you got to understand your convictions. He said, I just wake up and, and go, okay, is my trust in Jesus or is it in a school administration? No doubt. If my trust is in Jesus, then I don't care. It's not that I don't care, but I'm not worried about getting yeah. fired. You know, I'm going to, if my trust is in Jesus, yeah. what happens, happens. And, and so, which I know as a parent, that's encouraging. And the thing is, you're going to answer to a check or a calling. Mm. And we get so wrapped up in answering the checks that, that we just completely starve our calling. And, you know, that, that's my big thing is, man, yeah, i got to have a check. i got four kids, one in college. But I've got to answer based on my convictions and my calling. Checks will take care of themselves. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's, that became that moment for me of am I going to answer my calling or am I going to answer to a check? I've never heard that said, and that applies to no matter what career. It's not coaching. Oh, it's not that. Yeah. That's I mean, easy. a lot of times we, we, we answer to checks. Yeah. In every, yeah. every aspect of life. That's good. I like that. Because checks solve problems. You know, 
Yeah. And they, they solve momentary problems, but callings impact on eternal ramifications. And sometimes we can't get past that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Just a quest, coaching question. Uh, what was the biggest transition, you think, coming from that place in Mississippi to college? I, you know, I tell, I tell people this all the time. There were several transitions. One, I went from scheduling two school buses to go 12 miles down the road to scheduling two flights to go to Arizona. That's a little different, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the running joke. But, you know, I think the difference here is at the high school level, a lot of times you spend so much time on discipline and trying to uh, encourage players encourage players to get to practice, encourage players to go to class, encourage players to have a good attitude, just constant encouragement. On At this level, guys encourage themselves. So you get to spend more time impacting them. So, you know, we get to teach fundamentals. We get to do, from a football standpoint, we can actually really hone down their skill set and really clean up some of their schematics. Whereas the high school level, man, sometimes you're just trying to get them to the bus, mm, you know? Yeah. And I think, so it, it's a level up, and I love it because we do. We'll start next week, and every night at 9 o'clock when we finish all of our preps, and I'll sit down with 12 leaders, and it'll all just be development, you know? And, and I think... That's my big thing when people say, what do, you, what do you feel like your strong point as a coach is? And, you know, I can tell you offensive play calling or quarterback development or, you know, whatever it is. But I think the, my biggest element and my focal point is people development. That's where I kind of hang my hat. Well, I meet with about eight guys a week, and those meetings have nothing to do with football. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're, hey, hey, I never had a dad, but I think I'm, I'm in love with this girl and I want to marry, but I don't know what a – you know, dad looks like. So we go through identification of a father. Mm. You know, some of them are, you know, they'll walk in angry, super talented players and go, why am I here? Why am I not higher? Why, you know, why did God do this? And so we have to go through this whole identification in Christ to figure out what hardwired you to be here, you know, and there's so many different, um, from accountability to different things, but it has nothing to do with football. Mm. And that's the part I love, man, that I can just develop people. Man, that's that's just a lot of fun. Then the football takes care of itself. Yes, because right? they trust you. Yes, yeah. exactly. Then you know the hey man, throw this you know throw this post on this third step. That's a that's a byproduct because we've invested so much in the person that the player will follow us mm. through a wall. That's good. So the demands of your career as a head coach is a lot. You, you got a wife. Four kids, but you talked about the time you invest in the young men yeah. coaching. How do you balance that with being a husband and a dad? And I gave up sleep and started drinking monsters. <laughs> 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 no, you know, and I use this term in my players a pick at me. If I post something on Twitter, me and my wife, and they'll say, stealing time. And that's what we call it. Man, we steal time. You know, uh, you know, stuff like today. When I was coming up to do this, I said, just ride with me. Mm. You know, we're, we're Christy and I are constantly trying to steal time. Uh, you know, because we know. I mean, my. You know, other than having a sophomore, my ninth grader plays football and basketball. My third grader plays baseball, and you know how baseball works. That's a year-round deal. He's going to play football in the fall, and then she's a teacher. Mm. And you know, Collins has gym. So all of those things, like we're very intentional about two things. One, if one of us is going, we're just going to ride together. We're very intentional about riding together. We're very intentional about communication. 
So, you know, if, if, if we go uh, an hour or so without a text, we just text. We make sure that we're intentional about communication. And that only helps us functionality-wise, but that just helps me and her relationally. You know, and I think that's a big thing. When you're in this profession, when you do these things, you have to be very intentional and you have to be very mindful. And she she gets it. She gets the calling. She gets the impact of coaching. And what's great is she balances me out. So she don't mind being honest like, hey, you need to put this down. (laughs) You know, and sometimes I need that. You know, Mm -hmm. I just need to say, hey, just stop for a minute. And, uh, you know, it's been really good. It's it's hard. This is a hard call. And, and uh, you know, she says it, and I've said it all the time, this is harder on coaches' wives than mm. it is on coaches because, you know, we come to work. You're doing what you love. Yes. And our kids, our kids, they've got like a two-second rebound. So whatever you put them in, they're going to instantaneously meet ten people like them, and they're going to roll. But the coach's wife has to, once she stresses over the, the aspect – she stresses over at the, the stress level of all the things that come with this. Is the kids going to be okay? Or are they going to function well? Is everything going to be, you know, go smooth? And that's stuff that I go, ah, oh, their kids will be fine. And I think that is so important that I'm very intentional about her. And then another thing that we do is she's very much acclimated to this environment. She'll come in and she'll just sit in on staff meetings. She might not say a word. She just hangs out. She's about to be here right now. You know, we're just very intentional. And it, I, I, I've told my staff this, that if my wife doesn't feel comfortable around you, you're not going to stay on my staff long. Mm. Because I don't care if you can teach a three-tech how to get off a block. If my family does not functionally feel comfortable around you, you can go somewhere else and teach a three-tech how to block. So, you know, th- those things, uh, you know, those things are important. Yeah. So question about the role of sports, um, without, I don't want to go down the political trail. Um, cultures divided, racially, socioeconomics, religion, politics, I mean, you name it. So how have you seen, or how do you see the role of sports kind of bridge that gap? Man, it's huge. I, uh, you know, my background's really interesting because... In Mississippi, you you find a very divided area, and uh, I was one, you know, I was one of about two or three white guys on my whole football team, Uh, so the dynamics of that and even the influence of, you know, a lot of the places my wife and I coached were very... uh, were very diverse, and so a lot of times we were the minority in that situation, so, you know, it's just the great equalizer because what it does, it gives you a common goal. It gives you common ground of, hey, guys, it doesn't matter, purple, pink, it, it, none of that matters. We're just trying to win a ball game, and you can look up in the bleachers, and everybody's in one accord, and everybody's in uniform because now the 17-year-old kid who may have heard a lot of different dynamics about you know, racial division and, and you know, politics and all this thing is looking up there, and it doesn't matter what color or what political background they're rooting for that 17-year-old kid. Mm. So, man, it's the, sometimes it's the first time in their life where they go, you know what, everything I've heard may not be true because everything you told me I should not like about this person, man, they're, they're supporting me 100%. So it just, it's a game changer. And to me, it's a beautiful picture of how God designed the church, right? Oh, Common man. goal. Yes. But yet, you know, even inside the church, big C, we can't seem, seem to get along. So I just think the whole, I don't know, I just think sports is a picture of what 
The church is trying for It's what heaven is, dude. That's I mean, true. There you go. End zones or field goals. There you goals. go. But I think we we want to sect everything off, even denominationally. Right. You know, we. I promise you, there's not. He's not going to be sending Baptists to the left and spirit field to the right. There's just going to be a, you know, there's just going to be an impact where there's a unification of all of those things that we have created as barriers and dividing points are no more. That's right. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. beautiful. Wow. So a lot of our listeners are coaches and student athletes. So, you know, you have a strong conviction um, of the way you you coach, um, and there's a lot of um, athletes and coaches that want to better use the platform mm-hmm. of athletics to be more bold in their face. So how would you encourage them to be a little more bold? You know, I forced all of our coaches here, and we went through a leadership training this summer. All my coaches had to read a book, listen to five podcasts, and then they had to present to the rest of the staff notes during our fall in service. So we spent seven days in fall in service, but every day there was two 30-minute blocks of nothing what we call growth sessions. So they presented their, their material. Uh, what, hey, I read this book. Now, it could range. It could be football-based. We had some guy, we had one of our defense coordinator read Urban Meyer's book. But then on the other end of it, our offensive coordinator read Scott Wilson's book called Ready, Set, Grow. Scott Wilson's my pastor. And uh, it was all about building the church. So you get these different elements uh, and but everybody just poured into everybody. So, but this is a big thing that I force every coordinator on my staff and every coach. He needs to have his mission, values, and vision in alignment. So your mission is your foundation. Your values are your walls, and your vision is your ceiling. And these things all have to be in alignment. And if they're not in alignment then it's not going to flow mm. very well. So, you know, and they'll, they'll hear me say MVV, MVV, mission, values, and vision. And, you know, I, we've created diagrams, we've created houses, and so our program has a mission, our program has values, our program has a vision. I personally have a mission, I personally have values, and I personally have a vision. So if you don't develop a mission, values, and vision, then everything you're going to do is not going to have any alignment or structure. So you're going to sporadically do things for the kingdom, but it's not going to it's not going to have any fluidity to it and it's not going to have any steps to it so it's not going to build on each other so maybe maybe as a high school coach you're going I'm going to help FCA this year well, what does that look like right I mean, you're going to drive the bus for them to go on a trip? Or you're going to truly get in there and impact? You know, you, you've really got to have mission, values, and vision. Like that. And that's got to come, you know, it, it can even come area. Hey, as a coach, this is my mission, value, and vision. As a teacher, this is my mission, values, and vision. As a dad, these are my mission, values, and vision. So it can come departmentally. You can you can like alienate it and divide it off in certain areas. But, you know, you've got to have alignment there. I guess that's good. Yeah. I wrote that down even for myself and you know, from a personal standpoint. So a lot of people have a favorite scripture, life verse. So I was gonna ask if you had one or maybe there's one that God just used in your life recently you'd share with us. You know, Ecclesiastes 7 8 says the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and a patient spirit is better than a prideful one. Uh, that is one that seems to be because here and the reason I say this is you know, we view God as the Alpha and the Omega. He's on the front end and the back end. Mm -hmm. Get them saved, get them baptized, join the church, and go to heaven. 
But I believe this, that I believe that God is a God of the process. Mm. God is a God of your process, my process, everybody's process. And he's a God of process. So when you see the end of a matter is better than, be, than the beginning and, and a patient spirit is better than a prideful one, that tells me that God is a God of process. And you see that's written by Solomon, who is supposed to be the wisest, wealthiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. And in his 70s, he's telling you that all this stuff is meaningless, but... The end of the matter's beginning is better than the beginning, and a, and a patient spirit is better than a prideful one. Ecclesiastes seven and eight is is become a very foundational one, and I've got a thousand more, but that one's kind of is really like stuck with me for a long time. You know, I go back and look back through all the notes from all the guy, uh, guests I interview, especially the favorite scripture one, mm-hmm. um, just because they're all different. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot. You get a lot of the Philippians four thirteen, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, uh, but. I love it when when someone like you gives gives one I hadn't heard before as, yeah. a, as a favorite one or whatever, and then I always like to go back and study it even more, and it's good. I'm, just, I'm, I'm fascinated by Solomon anyway. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One last question. Um, we've talked a lot about this, but two words that are real big in sports is all in. I mean, it's all over. You know, no matter what level of sports, kind of this rally cry, we know what it means, but also... Um, if we're going to call ourselves a follower of Christ, Jesus is very clear. Um, deny yourself, you know, and follow Him, which mm-hmm. is putting all of our stuff aside and being all in for Him. So in a practical sense, um, what does that look like for you on a daily basis to be all in your walk with Christ? So I'll, I'll back up and, and use this story. There, there's a point. We don't understand how big of a deal it was for those disciples to actually get out of the boat. Mm. Because that's all they knew, man. That boat was their life source. That's right. And if you look through, I believe it's Luke, there's a point that after Christ, uh, after Calvary, and before he shows back up again, there's a point where you see Peter, who was an extremist as there ever was. He's the New Testament David. He was all over the place. So he says something that's very important. He says, hey, guys, I'm going fishing. And that was a moment for him where he said, I'm going to go back to what's easy, comfortable, and convenient. Mm. And, and he was taking what was comfortable and convenient over what his calling and his conviction was. And he was replacing it, and he was going back to callings and convenience and giving up comfort and uh, giving up calling and conviction. So the, the thing for me, and I always look back to that, and, you know, he never did that. And he stayed with his calling. You see what happens in Acts chapter 2. So we start our week every week here with a 7.30 a.m., what we call PLS. So our staff comes in here, and we structure it out, and we have a 10-minute prayer meeting. And then we have what we call listen, prayer, listen, and speak, where we allow God to speak to us through Scripture. And then after 10 minutes, we begin to speak into each other. And it sets the foundation of everything we do. It's called PLS. Uh, that's a prayer meeting that our staff does every week. And it, and it really allows us to, to kind of get all in, no matter what's happened Saturday, no matter what happened, the business of life. It allows us to get all in. So for me, all in is simply this. I answer to callings and convictions over comfort and convenience. And within that, I understand that the more uncomfortable I am, the more I'm answering a calling. I like that. I'm going to write that down. Discomfort is is the beginning phase of answering your calling. I like that. I'm writing that down as we finish. 
That's, that's, that's always a good reminder because, you know, we all – I think we all want to be comfortable, right? Yeah, that's it. And, and everybody – And it well, seems like it's, it's, it's easy to choose easy. Oh, there's no doubt. You know, and, and, and the thing is – you know, if you're not fighting, and here, here's something that's been made real to me over the last couple of months. The, the more uncomfortable I get, the more battles I will fight against Satan. Because if you ain't fighting against him, you're flowing with it. Mm. And, you know, that's huge. And, you know, so the more I really try to impact kingdom principles and the more I know that, that I'm fighting the devil, it's because I ain't flowing with him, so I'm fighting against him. And, and that's just the way it has to go. Writing that one down too. If you aren't fighting Satan, you're flowing with him. That's good stuff. Hey, I know um, as we record this on a Sunday evening, and you got report day tomorrow and practice starting this week. So I appreciate you taking a few minutes to to sit down and share your heart and encourage us. And I know your wife and kids walk in and <laughs> trying to steal that time. So I don't want to steal time away from no, them. Oh, you're fine. So I appreciate it. Well, and you know, man, I appreciate what you do. I've been listening to you guys' podcast ever since we started texting and kind of got connected. And, man, you're bridging the gap, dude. I appreciate it. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's awesome. It's so many things that we want to put kingdom impact into this box and mm. say, well, you got to be a pastor. you got to be a youth pastor. you got to be whatever. But, man, this is kingdom work, dude. And, I appreciate it. And it takes family and it takes kids following you around and, <laughs> and all the things that come with it. Yeah. Man, this is awesome. And I really – I'm thankful to be a part of it. And I can tell you um, – as we finish up, I, there's a number of them. When I get done recording, I sit there and go, you know what? If this one never gets published, God used it in my life. So, yeah. I, you know, and I, this is one of those. I mean, I got two pages full of notes that I'll go home and think through. And you've challenged me in a couple areas of my life to, you know, that whole mission, values, and vision of my own personal life and just evaluate my comfort levels. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you, man. I really yeah. appreciate you. Wow. I hope you were as encouraged by Ryan and his his passion for his relationship with Christ, his passion for his family, his passion for others, and, and for making Christ known as I was just sitting in the conference room there on campus and recording this conversation. And you got a glimpse into his heart. And just an incredible testimony of, of being unashamed, going back to the Mississippi when he baptized that player and the freedom from religion went after him with lawsuits. And now there's a movie coming out called The Gridiron Gospel. Just a, a story of how coaching is a ministry and coaching is a calling. It's so evident in Ryan's life that God has called him, God has anointed him and using him in the coaching profession to, to, to build up men of faith, men of character, men of integrity. And I love how he talks about that, you know, they have growth sessions. You know, he, he wants every member of his staff to be growing personally in a relationship with Jesus, but also as a group. So having these sessions together where they talk about their mission and their vision, not only for their personal lives, but as a staff and, and, and as a team. You know, he talked about, um, you know, we need to pray, we need to listen, and then we need to speak. We need to have that conversation with God. We need to spend time in God's Word, allow God to speak to us, and then we speak. And they talk about that as a staff, again, in their growth sessions, PLS. Pray, listen, and speak. And, you know, he challenged all of, of us when we were talking about advice to coaches. But it's really an advice to no matter where you are. Are you answering to your paycheck or are you answering to a calling? 
Because if you're entering to a a paycheck, you're starving, you're calling, and all of us are called to love God and to love others. And if we're so focused on our careers, we're neglecting what God has called you and me to do. But that's especially important for the coaches because you're judged by winning and losses. But, but it, coaches are called to, to coach just like preachers are called to preach. And, and if you're answering your calling, you're following your calling, God's going to meet your needs. But the minute we start focusing on our paycheck, our priorities get so out of whack and we lose our focus. And we need to be the last thing that I wrote down in my notes. You need to be relationally driven, mission-minded. That's what he he talked about as their staff. They want to be relationally driven, mission-minded. And I walked out of that room thinking, what if each one of us, what if you, what if I, live my life like that, relationally driven, mission-minded? That I was all about relationship with others and then mission-minded. The last quote I'm going to leave you with says, if you aren't fighting Satan, you're flowing with him. Every day is a battle, but we have to remember the battle's been won. So just keep fighting, stay in the fight, stay in the battle. Because if not, you're going to be flowing with Satan, and that's not a good place to be. Thank you, Coach Smith. I was so pumped up sitting in that conference room. I was excited that my two boys got to be in there with me and, and, and witness his passion, hear his story, and just spend time with him even outside of recording this. And um, as he was just speaking life into us and encouraging us in our walk, I would encourage you to share this episode with somebody. There's somebody that in your life that needs to be encouraged today. So share it. Also, we love your feedback. Reach out to us via our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org, or via our, through our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just type in All In Sports Outreach in the search. You'll find us. You can interact with us. You can find out opportunities to pray, opportunities to serve with us, and opportunities to give. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your prayers.